0: Today, I, I want to tell you stories of people whose lives have been transformed, and uh, starting with one man in particular named John. But all the stories that I'm going to be sharing in this series, people of, who were transformed, they're, they're true stories, and these people are transformers. And I, I guess the whole reason for wanting to share this, you know, I'm thinking about January and Everyone is trying to do this change thing and, and start fresh and do something new. And, and I know there's also times where people run into real discouragement. And there's times when we run into a wall, when we can't change ourselves. And we've tried and we've tried and we tried and we keep failing. And I guess there's a lie that somewhere gets in our head and the lie is, I can't change. And I guess my hope in all this is just that maybe that lie would just be smashed to bits. And that everyone might have hope in the power and the presence and the love of Jesus Christ, who still transforms lives today. Now, when I talk about transformation, there's certain things I mean. And, and when I'm talking to you, I realize that there might be some people here that, that you've, you've kind of bought in to maybe that lie, and, and maybe you're even at the place of just, I, I just don't have any hope. I've given up. I've given up. And I, I just want to ask you, before we go on, if you're at that place of no hope, of just, I can't be changed, I've tried, that sort of thing, I want to ask you this question. Did Jesus come to destroy lives, or to save lives. I believe that he came to save lives. And part of that saving is a transformation that causes the old way of life to go and a new way of life, a a God-fashioned, a God-shaped life, to be taken on. And I believe Jesus can bring about change within us that makes us capable of living out the full humanity for which we were created, I believe that, and it 's not a pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of change it 's not what i 'm talking about. see the transformation this transformation Jesus works within and and it and when i 'm talking about this transformation, this change within i 'm not going to have a, a how to manual for you i 'm not going to be uh, intending to give you any kind of three steps to change message today or, or any day of following. You see, the, the Bible, the Bible isn't so much a how-to manual as a who-to manual. It's, it's about going to the one who can change us. It's about the one who can change us from within. You see, when you truly meet the living Jesus and that resurrection life you smash into it you'll be transformed and led on a journey of transformation by his presence working within you see the mystery the mystery of this great change within is one that it's through grace by faith but the second part of the, this mysterious change is that there's still these unique parts of us that remain, but are given new value, strength, and purpose that wasn't there before. And there's, there's a name for that in, in, in the Bible, and, and it's a Bible word. It's, it's called redemption. You see, God has a great mission to the world that he's fulfilling in Jesus And it's this transformation. And it's a transformation of many people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation into one new people. Transform into his likeness and forming an everlasting kingdom. That's that's the big picture of what he's doing. But then he's coming back to us, you and me. And he's working with individuals towards that big picture. But when I hear about that kind of stuff, I, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. And, and I want you to be a part of that. You and I were designed for good. God's original intention. But you and I were damaged by evil. You and I in Christ can be changed and restored for better. It's not for no reason. And you and I can be sent together to heal and reconcile so others can be transformed too. Transformers. That's what we are. Not robots. Although Jason was wanting to come out in a robot suit today. He was a Transformer fan when he was a kid. But let me tell you the story of one Transformer. One of the first Transformers. His name was John. And... He was one of the sons of Zebedee who lived among along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And the family of Zebedee was well off. They ran a fishing business that was in partnership with the family of Simon Peter. And a, and a few things tell us that they were not poor fishermen. And, and that's kind of the image maybe that I, I used to have in my head. But actually that they were well off by the standards of, of their day. Maybe not the standards of, of this day. But one of, the, one of the things that leads us to believe that, that it was a, they were a well-off family and John was, was well-to-do was one, is the number of boats that they actually use in their fishing business and that were owned in this partnership with uh, Simon Peter's family. See, uh, uh, people have found out that in the area of Galilee that there are really no suitable trees for boat making that grow in the area. In fact, there's hardly any trees in the area. But uh, so a lot of the wood to be built for boats had to be imported over a long distance. And so if you owned boats, that meant you had money. And to have several boats and then also hired men meant that this fishing business of the family of Zebedee was doing quite well. Now another thing that lets us know is that there's some outside sources of the Bible that indicate that the Zebedee family uh, maybe had a, a fish market shop in Jerusalem, near the high priest's house, which would explain uh, some of the mentions in Scripture why John was possibly known to the high priest's family. Uh, On that evening when when Jesus was being sentenced and right before he was crucified, uh, John was let in to the courtyard of the high priest, and it says because they, they knew who he was. He was familiar with the family. Now, John and his older brother James definitely, you know, worked with their father. They're hands-on in this business, and they, they worked with the hired men. But they probably did have some freedom that other folks in their day didn't have from their daily work because they were just eking out an existence to live. So John and his brother were known in this region as being part of a well-off, well-connected family. Well-off, but yet they were unschooled, uh, meaning that probably after they were 12 years old, the, the local rabbi didn't choose them to go on in training in Jewish education. He said, you boys didn't do so well at your, your bar mitzvah, so uh, you need to go back with the family fishing business. And uh, so uh, they did, and they, were, they worked with their father. And the two sons of Zebedee were also well-known for something else, and it was recognized by Jesus, and that they were given this name The sons of thunder, sons of thunder. Now, how do you get a nickname like that? How do you get a nickname like that? It's probably not from being the president of the ladies' needlepoint club. I mean, there was something about John and James that communicated powerful, tough, loud. That's what I think of when I think of thunder and being a son of thunder. You you know, the name kind of indicates that that they were possibly uh, had a short fuse, but they were brash, maybe quick to anger and to rage. You know, maybe it's like what uh, uh, Tony Campalo describes. They were some punk fishermen riding into the village on their camels with racing stripes, and they had their leather jackets on the back of them that said, sons of thunder. Maybe, maybe not. But This name, this nickname was officially given to them by Jesus. And I wonder if in some way it not only identified who they were at the time, but who they were also going to become. Though powerful, loud, uneducated, John was a man who was seeking. He was a man who was seeking. He may have had it had it all according to the the people of his day and time. But it's possible that on business trips for his family to Jerusalem, John heard that baptizing prophet near the Jordan and followed that man who, who seemed so full of fire and had anger too. But it was a different kind of anger, a righteous anger that was maybe unlike John's. So some scholars believe that, that the unnamed disciple in the gospel, of John, was, who was following John the Baptist along with Andrew, was John, the son of Zebedee. How, how did a man from Galilee end up that far south? Well, again, maybe his father's business allowed him the leisure. Maybe while working in Jerusalem, it occurred. Whatever the case, John had several encounters with a man named Jesus before he was called to, to follow him and he left his father's fishing business behind and John began to work and walk with Jesus over the next 3 years and after being appointed among the 12 as uh, jazz mentioned earlier John along with James and and his friend and coworker Peter were invited by Jesus to some special occasions kind of became almost an inner circle, although I don't believe it was an exclusiveness. But Jesus invited these three to some special moments. There was a moment when uh, Jairus' daughter, who was lying dead, uh, Jesus went into a room, called only these three with him, and the parents said, everyone else, stay out. And in that moment, he, he raised up Jairus and brought her back to life. And these three got to witness this. John saw this with his own eyes. There was a moment where Jesus was was going for a special moment of of prayer and communicating with his father uh, on Mount Tabor, which uh, later became known as Mount Transfiguration because of what happened there. Because Jesus was transfigured. He changed before their eyes. He was glowing and white and was shining brilliant. And all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up in some sort of of glorified appearance. And they start talking and having a conversation about the things to come about the cross, and Peter, James, and John are watching it, sitting aside, dumbfounded, and John knew with his own eyes that Jesus was someone different. Jesus was someone special, and Jesus was from God. There was another moment where they were called aside to join Jesus in a moment where he just needed some friends to stay awake with him and pray with him, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it was there that John, maybe half in his sleep, dozing in and out, overheard Jesus say some of those prayers that were prayed for us here in the future, praying for the unity of believers and those who would believe in the future. Now even though John had this close proximity to Jesus, even in the last months before the cross, we still see these flashes and hear clashes from John, the son of thunder. You think you have this moment with Jesus, and immediately everything changes. Didn't happen that way for John. One of the first snapshots we see with John is after an argument over who's the greatest among the disciples. And, and you sometimes wonder, how, how do you get an argument about who's the greatest? It, it probably started out as who's, who's the least, and nobody wanted to be the least and uh, who's going to be in the, the bottom pick of the crew. But after this moment of this argument, John comes running to Jesus. And he's eager to report that he and a few others stopped another man from driving out demons in Jesus' name because in John's word, he's not one of us. It's not one of us. You know, kind of, kind of this picture of, you know, he's not a part of our gang. He's not part of our crew. He's not on the inside. And Jesus gently corrects John's attitude of, of exclusiveness and intolerance. And he says, don't stop him. For whoever is not against you is for you. The second snapshot we get of John, son of thunder, is uh, Jesus is, is resolutely heading towards Jerusalem to face the cross. And, and he leads the disciples through Samaria. They aren't going to go around like most Jews do. They're going straight through because they're going to get there. And it's not the first time this has happened. They visited Samaria before with Jesus. If you remember the woman in the well and the conversation that occurred there. And at the end of a day of travel, the men, they're all tired. And Jesus sends a few ahead. And I believe James and John were a part of that few that went ahead and to make arrangements to stay, stay the night. And as they went into town, they were rejected. Hospitality refused by the Samaritans. And at this point, tired and just wanting food and wanting to rest, the ethnic tensions between Samaritans and Jews just, I think, just explode. And it comes apart. And these men were at wit's ends after seeing glimpses of, of greatness in Jesus and then hearing this refusal by a people that they were taught to despise John and his brother come running to Jesus and they ask. They ask if they can do an Elijah imitation. Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy these people and destroy this village? Great zeal, great faith, but somewhere along the line, totally misdirected. I mean, this is not what Jesus is about. These guys have totally forgotten their last visit to Samaria. And that woman at the well, and and practically a whole village that came out and put their faith and trust in Jesus. Salvation came to one of those Samaritan towns, and Jesus rebukes them. They were missing the whole point. Jesus was not coming to destroy, but to save. Third snapshot, the Son of Thunder. John and his older brother James come to Jesus like little kids. Seeking positions in his coming kingdom. And it's real funny, I don't know if you've ever had your kids come to you like this before. Dad, would you just please say yes to my question? Your kids ever come to you like that? That's the way James and John came to Jesus in this moment. They said, Will you give us whatever we ask of you? I mean, exactly. Like little kids. And and Jesus goes along with, with the, the play. And he says, Okay, tell me, tell me what you want. And and they ask. If they could have this, these positions in Jesus' kingdom. And then Jesus reveals something and says that, that those aren't for you and, and they're not mine to give in this kingdom. And there's something that is also revealed about John and his heart, and that his request for position reveals an ambition that still resides in this son of thunder, this aggressive man wants to reach out and take. That spot and that place. And the story is a little more curious also when when you think about the account in Matthew's Gospel, where it says that James and John brought their mother along to help ask the question of Jesus. You know, the the wife of Zebedee had also become a follower of Jesus, she was one of many women supporting the twelve with their daily needs and food and and cooking and, and finances. Now, the question I have is, why would two grown men, known as the Sons of Thunder, ask their mommy to help them with this? Why would they do that? I mean, when you start thinking about it, you might come up with with a thought that's a little bit insidious. And it's a little bit more like the world's thinking. Hey, our family's well-connected, well-off in this region. And you know what? We our family supports this Jesus organization. And you know, mom, mom, she has personally supported and taken care of Jesus' needs. Maybe mom would, would have some leverage in this question and in our request. Maybe she can pull some strings. Well You see, John's flame of zeal was not exactly pure. It was mixed up with kind of this bitter smoke of of worldly ambition, anger, intolerant pride, and exclusiveness. Yet when Jesus looked at John, he lovingly nicknamed him Son of Thunder. You see, Jesus' love is not blind. And he wasn't blind to who John was, but he could look beyond the difference of where John was at and where he knew John would one day be and still love him. And it was that love, that love and that power and that presence of Jesus Christ that shook John. And later on Pentecost Day became infused in him, transforming him from a son of thunder to an apostle of love. And why do we say apostle of love? How, how, how do we know that was the change or the transformation? Well, we know it from some of the things that, Je- that John taught, the things that John wrote, the way that John lived. Jo- John no longer has Jesus beside him, but Jesus residing within him. And he begins to live and love with a power that's not his own. That's not his own. Here's a snapshot of the Apostle of Love. When the first church scatters, and it hears that Samaritans are putting faith in Jesus because of Philip's preaching, guess how John responds. He's not, he's not saying, hey, Philip is not part of the inner circle. What was he doing over there preaching in Jesus' name? He shouldn't have been, he didn't do that. He didn't say, hey, the gospel's just for the Jews. Maybe we should call down fire from heaven. No, guess what? John was the first one, along with Peter, to go and hang out with the Samaritans, to pray for them, to encourage them, and to teach them about the ways of the master and how to follow Jesus on this road of faith. Second snapshot later of of the apostle of love, later when John is moved by the Holy Spirit to write about his gospel account, every chapter is intense with Jesus revealing himself as God. The, the two words that are repeated over and over in the gospel of John are the words believe and love, believe and love. And in John's mind, they become fused together. In third snapshot, in John's letter to the churches near the end of his life, all he seems to write about is love. Love, love, love. John's intensity as a son of thunder is still there now as the apostle of love, but now he's ambitious for others. John writes to protect young Christ followers from imposters teaching false things about Jesus. And John is saying, look, I I was with Jesus. I've walked with Jesus. Jesus did not say that. He did not do that. He was not that. This is who Jesus is. This is what he said. The Apostle John, who wrote things like this, the word became flesh with great passion was now telling these people that there are words that make the difference between life and death, words that can transform us, words like, I believe. In his last letter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, John writes in almost paragraph, every paragraph, dear children, dear friends, does that sound like a son of thunder? Sounds like the love of Christ working through a man. Still that same intensity. It's just not thunder now. It's love. It's love. And a deep love is communicated. And two repeated commands are to believe and to love. It's said by the ancient translator Jerome that at the end of the Apostle John's life, he was being carried to, the, to church in the arms of his disciples. And because it was difficult for him to speak, he only used his energy to say one thing. Little children love one another. And he would say it so often that his disciples were growing weary of it. And they finally asked him, Master, why, why do you keep saying this over and over and, he, and he, he worked up the energy and he replied and he said, because it's the Lord's command and if this alone be done, it is enough. In the end, John had forgotten everything but the Lord's command to love. That was the impression of Jesus Christ upon this man. A shaping into the likeness of Christ that went to the very end of his life. Jesus transformed this man. And John knew, John knew the most difficult things in life are figuring out love and figuring out God. And usually the mess we make of our lives can be traced to failure or ignorance or meanness in one or both of these areas. You know, the basic conviction that Jesus impressed on John is that love and God are intricately woven together. What John lived and breathed after being transformed by Jesus was basically this. If we want to deal with God in the right way, we have to learn to love the right way. And if we want to love the right way, we have to deal with God the right way first john 4 eight. god and love cannot be separated see the testimony of transformation of john's life tells us this jesus shows us the full and true understanding of who god is and jesus shows us the full and true mature and working out of love He shows us the true picture of love jesus does He shows us the true picture of who God is. Right now, I'm gonna ask uh, Nate and the guys to come up and continue to lead us in worship. But what I want us to know today is that without Jesus, we will fail in knowing God in his fullness. And without Jesus, we will fail in loving fully. And without Jesus... It's nearly impossible to change. A change that comes within, the kind of change that we're talking about like we see in John's life, a transformation. But I want you to know that in Jesus Christ, we have power that was not available to us before. I know that maybe you've struggled with trying to change yourself, trying to beat yourself with discipline or whatnot. I want you to know that there's something available to you that comes from, without, comes from outside of you but can be within you. And it's the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. Resurrection power within you. In the next few moments, we're, we're going to celebrate that demonstration of, of love that was poured out at the cross. And I want to invite you to partake in in what we call communion today. Uh, Some call it the Lord's Supper, Eucharist. Um, And there's going to be some people around the primitive room holding a plate with unleavened bread that represents Christ's body, a goblet that holds juice that represents Christ's blood. And if you're someone who knows that Jesus is the Son of God, you believe He is who Jesus claimed He was, you believe that he not only changed other people's lives, but he's changed your life and is continuing to change your life. I invite you to, to partake in communion with us. And if you're here and you desire Jesus to change your life, you desire him to transform you. I invite you to take part in this as, as your first step of faith saying, yes, I, be- I believe, and I-, I-, I need you, Jesus. And I know for others of us, it, this is a moment of celebration, to celebrate the grace that's been given to us, the forgiveness. Uh, other moments, it's a time of confession and mourning. And I know for some of us, it may be just, uh, you know, in talking about a son of thunder to apostle of love, it may be also just a recognition and saying, Lord, I fail so many times at love. Please continue to work your transformation in me so I might love more fully like you do and that I might know you better so that I can love in a right way. So as the song is played, any time during that, you can get up and take communion. I'm going to pray right now and then we'll continue in this time of entering into community and into worship. Heavenly Father, in this moment, we look to you to say that that you are, Lord, that you are the source and power for change. You are the one who transform us into your likeness for your purpose, for your mission, and not for our own purposes and our own desires. Lord, we pray that, that you would work that kind of change in us that we can't do on our own. Lord, that we would learn how to love like you do. In Jesus' name, amen.